Danielle Henning, Senior Correspondent at MLEX, and today I'm in our Melbourne offices in the heart of the city's business district, and face-to-face with Australasian Managing Editor James Paniki. Hi, James. Hello, Laurel. Great to be in the same room again, finally. Great to see you. Today we're going to discuss a deal that James has been reporting on, an unsolicited 13 billion Australian dollar, or 9.5 billion US dollar by today's rates offer, from a consortium led by Hong Kong's CK Infrastructure Holdings for Australian natural gas pipeline operator APA. CK Infrastructure, or CKI, invests in energy, transportation and water networks, as well as waste management and household infrastructure. It's also the largest overseas infrastructure investor in Australia and has a history of taking public investments private, which we'll get into later. Now, the multi-billion dollar bid is not without its regulatory hurdles. So, James, tell us a bit about the legislative scrutiny surrounding the deal. Laurel, where to start? (laughs) (laughs) You you knew I was going to say that. Look, there's, there's clearly a lot of regulatory background to this deal. It has everything to do with the tightening of Australia's investment regime, Uh, when dealing with Chinese companies, and that includes Hong Kong companies, obviously. It's not just about hard-nosed competition issues, but there are also a range of uh, security uh, concerns at play as well. Uh, As for the basics of the deal, APA Group is Australia's largest natural gas infrastructure business. It operates major pipelines and a few power stations and wind farms, so it's got everything covered. It's listed on the Australian Securities Exchange, which is Australia's uh, stock exchange. Uh, and in June, it received an offer from a consortium comprising CK Infrastructure Holdings, which you just mentioned, CK Asset Holdings and Power Asset Holdings. They're all, all three of those are Hong Kong-based companies. We can talk about what uh, those companies are and what the deal entails a little bit longer. But to be cleared, the deal needs to go through the country's competition regulator, which is the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, the ACCC, uh, and that will be very much a sort of a business-focused um, decision. So it will be very clinical uh, in how it assesses that. It has to assess whether or not the deal will substantially lessen competition. That's the test that the ACCC applies to these kind of things. And then the deal will need to be cleared by the Foreign Investment Review Board, your favourite acronym, FERB. Um, uh, this is essentially a political body. So it's an advisory body that has to advise a government about um, foreign investment in the country. uh, And then ultimately, a politician uh, has to sign off it. In this case, it's the Treasurer of Australia, which is what we call the Senior Finance Minister in Australia. Who even is that today? Uh, That is, in fact, Josh Frydenberg. So that's just changed for anyone who's been following the news. You'll know that there's been a bit of uh, turmoil in Australia recently. So there's been a reshuffle of the cabinet. By cabinet, we mean here in Australia, we mean the, the ministry, the the, the governing ministry. Josh Frydenberg is the name of the new treasurer and he will ultimately be the person that has to sign off on uh, on, on this deal. Now, after receiving that unsolicited offer, um, APA agreed to the acquisition and released an implementation agreement. Tell me about that. Uh, yes, yeah, so uh, th- that just really confirmed that the two sides, the CK, CKI-led consortium on the one hand and APA on the other, saw eye-to-eye on this acquisition. It sets a timetable for the deal, so it's to be concluded by late November this, this year with a, hopefully a firmer deadline to the end of, at the end of December this year. It's an all-cash offer. The APA board was uh, happy with it. And the agreement, which um, for all of the agreement nerds out there, we've uploaded that and it gets into a great deal 
of, of detail. As for the uh, C timeline, we're expecting the next announcement on September the 13th, so it's a big deal with a lot at stake and the regulator is under some pressure to get that uh, decision in on time. It should be said that the C was criticised recently for missing a deadline on a major uh, deal involving a bid by a consortium led by tollway company Transurban, uh, which wants to buy into the West Connex project in Sydney. On that occasion, the regulator uh, had to delay its decision, just saying, look, it was too complicated, it's too big a, a deal for us to review in that timeline. That led to all sorts of uh, other problems. And so I think on this occasion, the ACCC will be under a certain amount of pressure to get, uh, to get its decision in on time. And then the ACCC has released um, a market inquiries letter as well about the deal. So that's the document asking for industry feedback um, and outlines initial concerns. So that industry feedback is coming from, I assume, other companies in the same industry who can then express their concerns about the deal. What's that told us about it? About well, that, well, well, that's right. It's largely what you would expect. So there are concerns about the deal's possible impact on prices in the gas transmission, storage and distribution markets, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that, uh, that to a certain extent is a routine. Uh, interestingly, though, the ACCC also revealed that it, re- it had received an undertaking from CKI uh, committing itself to the divestment of a number of assets in the state of Western Australia. The undertakings include the divestiture of gas pipelines and storage facilities. It also covers issues like the transfer of, of uh, personnel, also the appointment of an independent auditor to report on the progress of, of this process. All of this is really to say that CKI... Uh, clearly identifies that there might be some areas of concern and it wants to address those areas of concern uh, head on. And so we'll see uh, what the ACCC makes of that. Mm, okay. And also how keen it is for the acquisition, I guess, to, to go through. Obviously. Yeah, that's right. Um, so as you mentioned, this isn't an investment like any other. Australia's foreign investment regime has undergone significant changes, particularly when it comes to what's referred to as critical infrastructure. Walk me through those changes. Well, um, as some subscribers would know, we've tried to put all of these changes to Australia's uh, regulatory environment uh, into one single case file, but it's a bit like herding cats because there have been so many uh, changes. There have been changes to uh, FERB's guidelines. There are pieces of legislation making their way, way through Parliament. Uh, there's been the creation of a new intelligence unit, which is very important. It's called the Critical Infrastructure Centre. Uh, there have been changes to Australia's taxation regime. There have been changes even to the laws governing lobby, the, the work of lobbyists representing foreign interests in Australia. So all of these things make up for a, a massive change to the regulatory environment. And I, I think the most important part of this equation is the creation of this Critical Infrastructure Centre. So this is essentially an intelligence agency which is uh, devoted entirely to gathering uh, intelligence and information from all of the different uh, intelligence gathering agencies in Australia. The important part from a bureaucratic point of view, the important part of this process is that it is within the Department of Home Affairs in Australia. This is the security focused department, whereas FERB has traditionally only relied on information from the Australian Treasury, which has always been very pro-business, pro-investment and and very inclined to say yes to a deal. Um, The fact that this is coming from a different source uh, really puts security concerns at centre stage. It is something uh, quite different. It should also be said that recently CKI has had has been on a bit of a roller coaster ride uh, in terms of its relationship with Australian regulators. In 2016, 
uh, FERB rejected its bid, um, or at least it was another consortium led by CKI, mm. but l- rejected its bid for a 99-year lease on electricity company Osgrid. Then earlier this year, FERB gave CKI the green light to proceed with a 5.5 billion US dollar offer to acquire energy network operator Duet Group, and that's the organisation, that's the company that runs a dampier to Bram- Bambury. Uh, gas pipeline in Western Australia. So it's had some wins, it's had some losses, and that means that the uh, what lies ahead is, is in a way a bit of a mystery. And all of this says that there is real concern in Canberra about Chinese investment. So these are security concerns that underpin all of these decisions. There's clearly fear, particularly when it comes to telecommunications, there's fear of espionage. Just in the midst of all of this political upheaval in recent uh, in recent days, the government very quietly told Chinese telecommunications companies, ZTE and uh, Huawei, uh, called them to say that essentially they wouldn't be allowed to bid uh, for the 5G infrastructure rollout in Australia. This is very important news here because Again, it's security concerns coming to the fore. Uh, There might be huge business uh, implications. There are geopolitical implications. And it really focuses public attention on the fact that the Australian government, rightly or wrongly, but the Australian government is concerned about uh, espionage and what uh, what could emanate as a result of that. But Laurel, you've been looking a bit more closely at the acquirer that we've been talking about so uh, so freely up until now, CKI. What did you learn about that company? And tell us something about the the, underpin- the underpinning uh, family philosophy. Sure, absolutely. So this kind of came from a conversation that you and I had, and then it led to a lot of thinking, and then we ended up writing a joint comment. So um, yeah, to just give our listeners a little bit of a synopsis on that, CK Infrastructure Holdings and the consortium that is behind the APA takeover bid are controlled by the family of Hong Kong billionaire Li Ka-shing, the city's richest man, and one of Li's sons, Victor Li, chairs uh, CK Infrastructure. On top of that, um, Victor Li leads the boards at CK Hutchison Holdings, which owns the Infrastructure Group uh, and CK Asset Holdings, which is 31% owned by the family's trust. So you start to get an idea there of the web of ownership and the amount of control the family has in these companies. And family-controlled companies are often the focus of shareholder campaigns in Asia. Why is that and what effect might these controlling stakes have on Australian companies? So in Asia, family-controlled stakes can mean minority shareholders are largely ignored. So you just you don't need to listen to a minority shareholder necessarily if you can so easily block whatever they're trying to put forward. Management can be unchanged and unchallenged for generations. Slowly that is changing. There are some governance, national governance changes taking place across Asia and national pushes for more independent board members or time limits for serving on company boards. And that's something that has been um, a focus point just recently, actually, even this month in Singapore with some new recommendations. But it's a problem in Asia for activists. At the same time as being a problem for their campaigns, it tends to be a central point for um, the change that they're calling for. So they will attack that family ownership as kind of a central point of their campaigns. An example of that is with Paul Singer's Elliott Fund, one of the most well-known activist funds that we write about. Their campaign at Hyundai recently focused on calls for the company to scrap a restructuring plan that the activists said would have only benefited the parent group's controlling family at the expense of minority shareholders. And Hyundai is expected to come back with a new restructuring plan sometime later this year. So the question there is whether or not uh, these dynamics would uh, or could be translated here to the local environment. What, in the in the context of this particular deal involving APA, what 
if anything, does this family background mean? Sure. So looking closer to home, keeping APA public, first of all, seems kind of unlikely. Looking at CKI's kind of past performance, in invest, uh, so it invested in a company called Investra in 2014, and then it took that company private, and it's been renamed as Australian Gas Networks, and it's one of the country's largest gas distributors. But if APA were kept public, there are a few things um, that shareholders should be considering. While some will tell you that um, Australian shareholders have some of the best rights in the world, they can call meetings with a stake of just 5%, they can spill boards as a result of the country's two strikes rule and remuneration, which is something we've discussed in other yeah, podcasts. Sure and getting that, but getting any final decision past a board is very hard with a blocking stake and a simple minority shareholder resolution. So if you're trying to just change company strategy on a simple, a simple point of business planning, that's very hard to get a company to even consider because they have to change company constitution before that that resolution can even be heard. It's not straightforward. And while Australian shareholders do have some great tools in their toolboxes, they're pretty blunt instruments. And Laurel, are people talking quite seriously about the possibility of APA going private after this 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 merger is that something that's been discussed definitely by observers and 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 those who have watched this infrastructure investment company um, and its previous performance i think it was also mentioned on apa's earnings call as well so i think it's something that's definitely being discussed there's going to be more coming out of this deal as it progresses through this period of regulatory scrutiny and that's something that james will be keeping our readers updated on but for now that's all we've got time for today so james thanks for joining me it's been a pleasure great seeing you james finicky is mlex's australasian managing editor and our joint comment on the APA CKI deal can be found on our podcast page. It's called Australia's Minority Shareholders Face Fight for Influence as Asian Business Dynasties Eye Local Acquisitions. Don't forget to check out other MLEX podcasts at the usual website, mlexmarketinsight.com, and go to the Insights Centre tab and select Podcasts. From Laurel Henning and James Panicki in Melbourne, thanks for your company today. Goodbye. Goodbye.